Lord, thee I love with all my heart. My dear friends, do you? <laughs> do I? Oh, man. Okay, let's start off with a little social uh, question today, a little, little market research. How many of you love God? Raise your hand if you do. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay, you, you know I'm playing with you a little bit. Obviously, at that point, everybody's hand better be up, or you're in, as they say, as the state troopers in the South say, boy, you in a heap of trouble. Obviously, we love God and we know we're supposed to. But I want to dig into that concept with you a little bit today because it's really a big deal. And I'm not sure I always know what I mean when I say, I love you, Lord, or when I sing, I love you, Lord, or listen to someone sing, I love you, Lord. It's easy to let those glib words roll off your tongue, but I want to unpack them with you for a few minutes today so that our love for the Lord is more thoughtful and intentional. And it's deeper than some of the shallow stuff that's slung around on the airwaves today. Here's the way the book of Ephesians concludes. A magnificent book in God's wonderful collection of books. Ephesians is a magnificent gem. I hope you know it really well. It's a short read, six little chapters but very dense. You have to read them slow. My usual metaphor for that, which you've probably heard before, is you got to read Ephesians like eating really heavy cheesecake, real slow. First of all, you want to taste it because it's so good and helpful. But second, it's so rich, you'll get a gut ache if you eat it too fast. So slow down, take little bites and savor it. The first three chapters are a magnificent summary, perhaps the most beautiful and coherent summary in all of Scripture of what God has done for you. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are how to live the Christian life to the full, how we then give our lives back to God. And here's the finale, a magnificent, beautiful little benediction that I would like to ponder with you this morning. It goes like this. Peace to the brothers and sisters. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So four magnificent gifts for us. Peace, love, faith, and grace. Those are all incredibly rich Bible words loaded with content of the eternal and everlasting love that the triune God has for you and me. And then our response is to love our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, with an undying love. And I'd like to spend a few minutes with you this morning helping you to be able to do that, to do it better, to love Jesus with an undying love. Think, think for a minute with me this morning, what is love? especially as God would define it. Is, it. is it a commandment? Is it an emotion? An emotional response? You know, like the love affair you have with chocolate? Or filet mignon? Or cheesecake? Or is it 
a decision you make in your head? And the answer is yes. Frankly, it's all of the above. Love is, first of all, a commandment when it relates to God. Secondly, it is an emotion, an emotional response of how you feel. And thirdly, it's a decision that you make in your head. It is a commandment. One time, somebody trying to um, argue with Jesus a little bit and also trying to basically stoke his own feeling of self-worth, trying to massage his own ego, asked Jesus once, what's the greatest commandment of them all? Like, what's the number one thing that God expects of me? And Jesus said, you know the Bible. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 to him. It's real simple, he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And in Deuteronomy it says, with all your strength. Jesus, perhaps speaking in Aramaic or perhaps speaking in Greek, said to that man, love the Lord with all your mind. An interesting little twist, both true. So Jesus kind of tweaked his own verse a little bit. Strength and mind, actually both are true. That's all. That's the, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's it. And the man foolishly replied, well, I've done all that already. He wasn't listening, was he? He wasn't thinking too much. When you think about it, I, I almost really regretted choosing this to be the thing I talked to you about today because I kind of feel like a hypocrite and a fool even encouraging you to do what I know I haven't done. It's a commandment that, if you think about it, is pretty intimidating. Love the Lord your God with all your heart? I don't. Do you, honestly? Is the Lord God, though, if, if we studied your behaviors for the last 30 days, would it be obvious that you love the Lord with all your heart? Oh, man. Wouldn't you be ashamed to be outed for what goes on and comes out of your mouth and what's, what's the stuff running through your mind? I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm like not, I don't even want to come out of the dugout and stand at the plate and even look at any pitches. I'm, I'm too embarrassed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Does... Is my life built around God? Do I reflect on my relationship with the Lord in, in all my interactions with people? Oh, man, no. I wish I could say yes, but I can't. Do I love the Lord with all my strength? Do I spend myself physically for him first and foremost? No. I'm too busy taking care of me, my comfort, and, and uh, my preferences far outrank God all too often. You can tell why I almost ground to a halt. I, how, can I, how can I go on if I have not even kept God's first and simplest commandment? Put me first in everything you do. You heard the spanking that John gave to his beloved congregation in Ephesus. He said, you're doing a lot of things right, but there's just one little problem. You've lost your first love. And he said, repent of your sin and reclaim it. 
or you'll be held accountable for it. And so that's what I had to do to myself this past week. As I'm thinking about standing here with you today, I got to say it's time for us all to repent. We've lost our first love. When we first came to faith, the Spirit in a rush uh, put us on top of the world, but our, we're still dragging around a sinner that is so inbred and so curved around. Luther, Martin Luther said our, our, our nature is curved in on itself. That's the sinner in us. We're always looking to benefit me. And so we'll have our great spiritual moments and then abandon them and forget and go back to our old ways of me, me, me. And so this morning, the first thing to think about in your love life with God is to repent of all the times and all the ways in which you haven't. And just be honest about it. Don't pretend. Just be honest. And as the people in Ephesus were, when they got that little postcard from John, they must have felt kind of crestfallen that he saw through some of their outward shell. And even though you've got your, your nice comfy summer clothes on and you're here in God's house at 8 o'clock on a summer morning when you could be planning your picnic or sleeping in or getting in that early round of golf or doing any one of the things we love to do in summer, you're here. Don't smirk. But let these words bring you to a sense of the fact that we haven't put God first is the reason why we need our Savior Jesus. That's why we love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, because he loved us first. So love is a commandment. In fact, it's the most com important commandment of them all. It's not an option for you. But because of our desperate need, Jesus Christ came, and he not only absorbed in his beautiful body the punishment and blows for all our failures to put God first, he also obeyed to replace our disobedience. He always put his relationship with his father first, always consulted him on big decisions, always thought about his relationship with the Father, his mission on earth, always thought about that first before he talked and acted. Always made his relationship with his Father, his missional drive in what he did with each day. He did that not just to show off and prove that he could, but he did it for you and me as perfect obedience in place of our disobedience so that when he was put to death, it was as the pure and innocent sacrificial lamb and bought for you and me what we need. And not only forgiveness for the sins of our past, he's washing away the dirt we have on us right now so that we look clean and pure to him. But he's also pre-forgiven you for what you're going to do wrong tomorrow. And that's such an amazing concept. It, it, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? Because you think it's way too risky. God is risking turning us into selfish pigs if we know we're already forgiven for tomorrow's uh, disobediences. But in fact, that's what the gospel is. It's unconditional love and mercy for our entire lives. And so the second piece of love is, how can you not love back someone who loves you that much? See, we can't generate our own love for God. It must be built 
off of his love to us. If you'd like to read an expanded essay on the mystery of God's love for us and the mystery of our love back to him, go to the book of 1 John. It's a magnificent book. I'll just share a couple nuggets with you today to kind of encourage you. John writes in chapter 4, God is love. I mean, that word love pretty much identifies him. In other words, his behaviors are oriented around your and my needs. His love is, like, is a transitive verb. He, he does it so much that he is it. Isn't that an amazing philosophical concept? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. He takes dead people and makes them alive through him. This is love. Not that we love God. You can't generate it. He doesn't wait for you to start first. We can't meet him halfway. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so we love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete. We love because he first loved us. So is God's, is, is God's love for us, does that generate an emotional response in our hearts? Absolutely. And all that we need to generate that wonderful emotion is a gift from him as well. It's his spirit working in our hearts through word and sacrament that gives us the ability to say yes to God instead of no, to feel some warmth and appreciation, to see God, a relationship with God, not as slavery, but as joyful freedom, to hear him describe the lives that we lead and not view it as somebody's just bossing me around and jerking me around and taking away my independence and treating me like a small, stupid child. But as glorious freedom in the Lord, that is God's gift. To realize that he is the one who's not only given us a life worth living, he has taken away our fear and terror of dying. And Judgment Day has no fear and terror for those who are washed clean in the Lord Jesus. How can you not live someone who's made you a spiritual millionaire, who has given you the promise of immortality, who promises to reunite you with those in the Lord who've died and gone ahead, and reconnect you with people that you love and have had to let go? That separation is going to be shrunk down and your loved ones will be given back to you. How can you not love a God who has found you lovable enough to do all that for. You can't help it, but love them back. But third, love is also a choice. You've probably heard that message if you've been to any Lutheran weddings. You've probably heard the wedding pastor say things like that, that how you feel about your partner is not what your commitment and your marriage really is based on, because our emotions, as you know, are all over the place. And we don't have full control over our emotions. But what you do have control over are the decisions you make. And love is also a decision. As you decide to love your spouse if you are married, or you if, you, if you're in a relationship, you are choosing 
to love someone. You are choosing to make that person feel special, and you're choosing not to spread your affections around other people. You're choosing to give them to that one person. Love is a decision to make somebody else's life better, even when it costs you something. In fact, especially when it costs you something. Love is a decision that God made to make our lives better, though it cost him his son. And not only did Jesus have to go through that, he took the risk of going through that because he took the risk that he might have failed, in which case he'd be as doomed as the rest of us. And the father took the terrible risk that he might lose his son forever by sending him on this dangerous mission. But he chose to love us, not that we're so lovable, but he chose to love us and give us unconditional love, forgiveness, and acceptance, risking rejection, but risking it all so that you might choose to love him back. And now with the power of the Spirit in our hearts, we can choose to love God back and to give him our cooperation, our yes, our obedience. Here's how John put it in that magnificent essay on love in his first letter. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother and his sister. So this is the last little piece of, of this story. You can't give God anything tangible that he doesn't already have. He says the cattle on a thousand hills are mine already. You can't offer a sacrifice that does not already belong to me. And the cash in your wallet right now, the assets in your bank, the lists of your mutual funds, your 401k, all of that really belongs to God. There's nothing tangible that you can say is mine. God really thinks everything belongs to him. He's letting you work in his family business. You're a manager and a steward of his stuff. But what he does not have that only you can give is that decision to give him back your heart and your obedience. And so the service you provide to the other fools and sinners around you helps God know what you really think of him. If you cut another fool and sinner around you some slack and give him a chance to grow up a little bit, God smiles because as he sees it, you are showing him what you think of him, that you're willing to do something hard and unpleasant for the Lord's sake because he invites you to, or if I might remind you, he actually commands you to. But the, the sweet reward is that you will find joy in doing that. The, the dirty little secret that Satan won't tell you is the more you pursue things for yourself, the unhappier you will be because you will just be digging a hole and going down. Book of Proverbs says there is no end to people who want because even the richest people will want more and it will never be enough. When you're aware of your riches in Christ, you are aware that you've got plenty. And so sharing of your energy, your resources, your time, and even risking your heart on other people 
is what will reward you and give you joy. And that's God's promise, and I back that up uh, with my word as well and my long years of life experience, is when you love God by loving and serving people around you and helping their life to be better, that is where joy and satisfaction comes from that nothing can take away from you. I don't know if you know um, the English poet Christina Rossetti. She uh, came from an Italian family. That's, you can tell she's got an Italian name. Her parents moved to England uh, in the 1800s. And right around the time that St. Marcus was founded, back in the 1870s, this brilliant woman, very gifted linguist and poet, wrote a sweet little Christmas poem that actually has probably become her most famous work of art. Uh, she has sold many books of poems, and after Emily Barrett Browning died, she was considered England's greatest woman uh, writer and poet. But the one that you might have heard of is her Christmas poem. It's called In the Bleak Midwinter, and somehow uh, it's hard to imagine it being cold right now in the August heat, but I, I just could not shake the last verse of her poem out of my head as I'm as I'm repenting of my own selfishness and deciding to recharge and re-energize my own love towards God, I just kind of couldn't shake this out of my head. And so, I'm sorry it's a Christmas poem, but I got to share it with you in August. And it's a sweet little poetic narrative of the birth of Christ in the manger, and she imagines it to have been in cold December, so she's writing about the snow, although who knows if it was cold or snowing or even December. We have no idea when, at which month of the year Jesus was born. But the more important stuff is at the end. She says, what shall I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What can I give him? Give my heart. Amen.